Good morning, Mitzelburian. How are you doing today? This is beautiful out. Let's spend some time as a family, church family, singing praise to our God. He is risen. He is risen indeed. And that means life for us, church. Our God restores. We're starting a new series today called Hurt. It was planned back in January. And this series is going to go through the different things that may hold us back from a deeper relationship with God or being used fully for God's purposes, His kingdom purposes. So let's sing about how our God can set us free. He can take those things that Satan meant for death and He can restore and turn them into something great. the You 
Over the past few weeks, we looked at Ephesians 1, 2, and 3, and obviously our last uh, sermon series was Ephesians chapter 4. And I thought we'd just keep on with the spirit of that and head on into Ephesians chapter 5. This is Ephesians 5, verse 15 to 20. It says like, says like this. So now be careful how you live. Don't live like fools, but like those who are wise. Make the most of every opportunity in these evil days. These are evil days, aren't they? So let's make the most of every opportunity. Don't act thoughtlessly, but understand what the Lord wants you to do. Don't be drunk with wine, because that will ruin your life. But instead, be filled, be controlled, be drunk with the Holy Spirit. Let Him have control over you. Singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs among yourselves. Let's do it together. And making music to the Lord from your hearts. Music from your hearts. Let's pour out this music and this song to God. And give thanks for everything to God the Father. In the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. That's Ephesians chapter 5, verse 15 to 20. And let's lift our song of thanks to God for what he's done in redeeming us. I won't forget, I won't forget the wonder of how you brought deliverance, the exodus of my heart. You found me, you freed me, held back the waters for my release. Oh, Yahweh. You're the God who fights for me, Lord of every victory, hallelujah, hallelujah. You have torn apart the sea, you have led me through the deep, hallelujah, hallelujah. The cloud by day is a sign.
Hallelujah for the way that you pulled us out from the sin that entangled us. God, you removed our sin nature and you gave us a spirit nature. God, you've given us the ability to walk like Jesus through the power of the Holy Spirit. God, we want to walk like Jesus walked and fulfill the calling that you have for us in our lives. We want to have relationship with you like you intended when you created Adam in the garden. But God, there are things that hold us back in life. Would you release us from those today, God? Set us free by the power of your word and your spirit, the person of who you are. We pray this in Jesus' name and all God's people said, amen. Hey, good to see you all this morning. It's a beautiful morning. We got a little bit of a little bit of cooler weather, and uh, it's fun to be out here all together at the same time worshiping. You know, um, uh, God's doing something in this valley, and uh, we've seen out of last year, out of 2020, where God started to connect uh, some churches and some leaders in a new way. And uh, there's some new unity that we see happening where there's uh, a desire to work together to see people come to know Jesus. And so I'm just excited about that. I'm glad that we can be out here um, on a Sunday morning worshiping at the fair. And tonight, of course, we have our night of worship where a lot of churches will come together and, and just worship Jesus. And, and the, the heart behind that is to reach this community together with the gospel. And so just be praying about that. I'm so encouraged about what God's doing in that arena. Hey, we're starting, uh, going to start this morning a new series, and I planned this back in January when I got together with Pastor Ben and Ken and just kind of looked at the year and prayed over what God might want for us to look at this year. And I, uh, I arrived on this topic, if you will, of hurt. 
And so I'm calling this series Hurt, and really the emphasis behind it is how to escape a victim mentality. You know, I heard um, Tony Evans, uh, who's a great preacher down in Texas, uh, a while ago preach a message, and he said, it's okay to be a victim. You know, we're all victims of something. Somebody's hurt us. In some way, we faced something where we've been wronged. And we know that, and we have hurt because of that. He said, it's okay to be a victim, but it's not okay to accept a victim's mentality. And so it's kind of what I want to look at in some different areas in which we can get hurt, and it can hold us back from moving forward in our faith or even coming to know Jesus as Savior. And so this week, I want to look at healing from spiritual hurts. Healing from spiritual hurts. I got some questions for you. Have you been hurt? Have you ever been hurt by religion? Have you been ever hurt by what you perceived as God, either letting you down or allowing something to happen to you that he could have stopped maybe that you feel like shouldn't have been done? Have you ever been hurt by other religious people? A victim mentality takes us to that place where we, um, we say something like this, the reason that I am where I am is because of everybody else. It's because of what others are doing. And the truth is that we all find ourselves in a bad situation at times. I have and you have. You might be in a bad situation now. But the problem with the victim's mentality is it stops you from doing what you could do to change that situation. See, the truth is there is no one else that's powerful enough to keep us in that place. And yet people can get inside of our head, they can get inside of our heart, and they can hold us in a place where we're distant from God. And uh, I want us to look at that over the next month, these areas where we can get held back by our hurts, because the truth is that they become a blockage between us and our relationship with God. A victim's mentality keeps me from taking responsibility for what I can control. You know, uh, somebody told me or figured out a long time ago that I can't control anybody else. I can't control a lot of the world and of life and of things that happen to me. But one thing I can control, a little bit anyway, is myself and what I choose to do with the things that happen to me. Our region is full of people. In fact, our whole country is full of people who have been hurt by the church or say they've been hurt by religion or religious people. And I've heard it said uh, years ago by a pastor that if you took everybody that had been hurt by the church or hurt in a church, and for that reason they weren't in church, if you took all those people and gathered them together and they made a church, it'd be the biggest church anywhere. Because the truth is, there's just a lot of us and a lot of our friends and neighbors who have experienced hurt, and for that reason, they have left church. They've walked away from that fellowship with, with God's people. I've run into a lot of, uh, uh, or a few atheists in my life, maybe you have too, that's people that don't believe in God, right? They're adamantly opposed to the existence of God. And I heard uh, a pastor say recently that probably should call atheists hurt theists, because a theist believes in God, but most atheists have been hurt. Christopher Hitchens, who's one of the most famous atheists in our time, who was a, an advocate um, and would get in debates with Christians a lot of times and try to debate against the existence of God. You know, when he was a young man, he grew up Catholic and his mother got sick and he prayed that God would heal her. And she ended up dying when he was a young boy. And for that reason, he determined that this whole idea of God was just uh, not true. And he began to fight against it. You know, the truth is there are a lot of us that have experienced hurt in the church or hurt due to religion. And 
I believe it's a big deal to God. It's a big deal to Jesus. You know, it's not a new issue. It's not just something that we have dealt with. In fact, this morning, I want to look at a story out of John chapter 4, where Jesus had an encounter with a hurt individual. And in John chapter 4, as we uh, begin this, um, this chapter, we see Jesus coming off a season of ministry in the southern part of the nation of Israel, in Judea, where he is ministering to people. But the Pharisees, the religious leaders, had tried to bring a wedge between him and John the Baptist. And so for that reason, Jesus was making some change of his location as he was doing ministry. In John chapter 4, starting in verse 1, I just want to read through this story. Jesus knew the Pharisees had heard that he was baptizing and making more disciples than John. Though Jesus himself didn't baptize them, his disciples did. So he left Judea and returned to Galilee. He had to go through Samaria on the way. Eventually, he came to the Samaritan village of Sychar, near the field that Jacob gave to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there. And Jesus, tired from the long walk, sat wearily beside the well about noontime. Soon a Samaritan woman came to draw water, and Jesus said to her, Please give me a drink. He was alone at the time because his disciples had gone into the village to buy some food. The woman was surprised, for Jews refused to have anything to do with Samaritans. She said to Jesus, You're a Jew, and I'm a Samaritan woman. Why are you asking me for a drink? So Jesus, uh, down in Judea, in the southern part of Israel, which used to be the southern kingdom, he's ministering there with John the Baptist. They're aligning their mission and purpose, and the Pharisees, the religious leaders, started to try to bring a wedge between them of division. And so Jesus moved. He said, there's, there's more for me to do. I'm going to leave this region and let John minister here. I'm not going to allow uh, division to be brought to God's work. And so he traveled north, headed for Galilee. But to get to Galilee, he had to go through Samaria. Now, these, are, uh, these areas, these are regions in the nation of Israel. They're large sections of land, kind of like a state is for us here in the U.S. And so as Jesus is traveling, of course, he doesn't have the, the, the opportunity to get in a vehicle, right? Or uh, even to travel by boat in this case because he's traveling over land. And so they just walked. And so they're taking a, a rather long journey. And, uh, and so he comes to the city of Sychar in Samaria. He, he's got to go through Samaria to get to Galilee. And so as he travels through, he, land, he winds up in this city, uh, in this town, and he sits down by a well, and it's a very famous well. It's a well that their ancestors had dug. In fact, Jacob uh, uh, had dug the well. And so he sat down there, and as he sat there, he sent his disciples in to get some food, right? And he's sitting there, and of course, Jesus didn't just happen to this place. There was a divine encounter that he was supposed to have with this woman. And so a Samaritan woman comes out to draw water. And Jesus just asked a simple question. Could I, could I get a drink? I'm hot. I'm tired. And she, a woman who's experienced religious and spiritual hurt, responds kind of harshly. She's like, hey. You're a Jew, and I'm a woman, and you're probably a, a, a Jewish teacher even, it kind of looks like. Why are you talking to me? You guys don't talk to us. See, the reality is that the Samaritans were a result of this Assyrian invasion of Israel, where the Assyrians had come in and conquered Israel and taken captive some of the Jewish people to be a part of the Syrian Empire. 
And during that time where the, the Jewish people lived in Assyria and were a part of that empire, some of them intermarried with the Assyrian, with the pagan peoples. And so the Samaritans were a mixture of Jewish and Gentile, right? And of course, God had said to the people of Israel, you're not to intermarry. You're supposed to be pure. Your bloodline is to be pure so, because you're my people. You're set apart. And so the Samaritans represented a disobedience to what God had said to do. But the Jewish leaders, especially the Pharisees, see, they hated the Samaritans. They didn't want to have anything to do with them. They wouldn't talk to them. They wouldn't allow them to come to Jerusalem to worship. They kept them at arm's length. In fact, some of the Pharisees even didn't want the Samaritans to be resurrected when, at the resurrection. They wanted the Samaritans to remain, right? They didn't want them to be in the kingdom with them. This is the hatred that the Samaritans experienced from the religious leaders of Israel, the Pharisees. And so they were hurt by this. You got to imagine this woman grows up and she wasn't a part of all that. She didn't go to Assyria, right? She didn't have any control over her birth and her genetics, her DNA. She had no control over that. And yet here she was treated with an ostracization. She was held out. She wasn't allowed to be a part of the worship of God within the nation that she lived she couldn't prove her lineage, and so uh, she wasn't allowed in. She experienced this hurt at the hands of religious leaders. Well, they have this interaction, and she pushes back right away. Why are you talking to me, man? You're, you're a Jewish leader. Uh, I'm a woman. You're not, men aren't supposed to talk to women. You're a Jew. Like, what, what's going on? She'd been waiting to say this to a Jewish leader, right? She had this ready to go. I mean, she was hurt. She was angry, and that's what came out the first time Jesus asked a simple question. Could I, could I have a drink of water? Well, the interaction goes on. Jesus replies to her, if you only knew the gift God um, has for you, if you only knew the gift God has for you and who you are speaking to, you would ask me and I would give you living water. Jesus pushes past the hurt. It's amazing how... Uh, you know, you've been hurt, I've been hurt, we've walked with hurt, and we've uh, come with this hurt, right? It, we try to keep it below the surface, we don't want to act like it's there, we're tough, we're strong, you know, oh, nothing bothers me. But the truth is, it's right there below the surface, and it bubbles out at times that we're, we're disappointed, we don't want it to, but there it comes out. And Jesus, because he loved this woman, he knew that God had ordained for him to meet with her. He pushes past that hurt, and he says, listen, I'm talking about something different than you think I am. See, I'm not a part of the hurt, the hatred, the disdain for you. You can tell that because I did talk to you. I did reach out to have a conversation. And so Jesus pushes past that and he indicates there's something more going on here. There's a gift that God has for you. You know, I don't know if you're experiencing that hurt today or if you have or if you know somebody that is, but it's amazing to me how Jesus has this interaction and his heart is for her. He knows the hurt that's there. And God knows the hurt that you've experienced or that people you know have experienced. He knows about it. He's tender to it, right? He's willing to push past it to engage us. Well, she responds to his... Uh, his comments, she says, but sir, you don't have a rope or a bucket, she said. And this well is very deep. Where would you get this living water? 
And besides, do you think you're greater than our ancestor Jacob, who gave us this well? How can you offer better water than he and his sons and his animals enjoyed? Jesus uses the, um, the descriptor before water. He uses the word living. You know, we need water. You know what it's like to be thirsty and to take a drink when you're just parched and you've been out in the hot sun and you, you haven't had a drink. And boy, you feel the nourishment, the refreshment that water brings. But I'll tell you something. Jesus puts the word living in front of water because he's talking about a water that will bring restoration, that will bring life into your person. You know, we're made up of body, soul, and spirit, right? And our bodies, our physicality is obvious, and our, our soul really can be probably described by our psyche or our, uh, psychology, right? Our mind and our thought process, and then there's our spirit, and that is the, the part of us that is meant to connect with God. And Jesus is really drilling into a connection and a need that she has in her heart. He pushes past the hurt, and he says, listen, I want to connect with you. There's something God has for you. He cares about you deeply. I don't know where you're at this morning, but I know the message that Jesus has for you today is that, yeah, maybe you've been hurt. Maybe you're carrying some wounds, but it's not from him. He loves you. He cares about you. He wants nothing more than to connect with the deep need in your heart. And the truth is that hurt just causes us to resist And sometimes it causes us to resist God himself. So Jesus replies, continues the conversation, anyone who drinks this water will soon become thirsty again. You know, she goes to the physical well again, right? She knows he's talking about living water, but she tries to keep it out there, keep it in the realm of the, you know, of the physical. And she doesn't really want to open up her heart, but here he is pushing into it. And he's getting awful close to that tender middle, that part that really hurts. And so she reacts again defensively, uh, you know, to this and tries to keep it in that realm that she's comfortable with. But Jesus just keeps pushing. He says, anyone who drinks this water from this well is going to soon become thirsty again. But those who drink the water I give will never be thirsty again. It becomes, listen to this, it becomes a fresh, bubbling spring within them, giving them eternal life. He goes, listen, this water is important. You need it for your body. You need it to physically exist. But I'm talking about something deeper. I'm talking about a water that is life-giving. When you get the water that I have to give you, when you get it inside of you, Life begins to bubble up out of you. It's generative. It's in you, and you'll never need life from anywhere else again. You know, it's amazing to me how we look other places when we're not right with God, when we're hurt spiritually, we're hurt in that part of our lives, that we look other places to fill that need. We try to connect with other things, and we're looking to have that need filled, but it just doesn't work. There's nothing else that's going to meet that need that we have. Only the God who made you can meet the need that you have spiritually. Jesus pushes past the resistance. He just keeps pushing, right? He doesn't stop. Why? Not because she's a little uncomfortable, though she is. He knows the conversation is a little awkward. Sometimes you've had a spiritual conversation with somebody. It could be a little awkward, but Jesus just keeps pushing because he loves her so deeply. And so he just keeps speaking truth. He just keeps speaking truth. Jesus spoke truth in love. And he continued to do it with her, pressing deeper and deeper into her her spirit, pushing past the resistance. 
You may have been hurt by religion, religious people. You may have church wounds. You may have hurts from a religious experience when you were a kid. Those things mistakenly can keep us from connecting with the God that loves us. Please, sir, the woman says, give me this water. Then I'll never be thirsty again, and I won't have to come out here to get water. She responds again, trying to keep it in that realm of the physical. She's uncomfortable, man. She knows where the conversation has gone. We're talking about living water. We're talking about something that's going to give you life. And she knows it, right? She knows it, and she can feel it, and yet she's uncomfortable with it because those hurts are right there, keeping her from taking that step, keeping her from opening up where Jesus has clearly pressed into. And so now Jesus ratchets things up a little bit. He goes to an issue in her life that is the real issue. She's hiding behind this religious hurt. She's saying, look, you Jews have hurt me. You've kept us out. You've kept us away. You've ostracized us. Jesus knows that's not the real problem. And so the next thing he says is pretty direct. And you know, it's interesting. When we encounter God, when we get willing to engage God, this is what always happens. Jesus says this to her next. He says, go and get your husband. Jesus told her, well, I don't have a husband, the woman replied. Jesus said, you're right. You don't have a husband, for you have had five husbands, and you aren't even married to the man you're living with now. You certainly spoke the truth. Sir, the woman said, you must be a prophet. So tell me, why is it that you Jews insist that Jerusalem is the only place to worship, while we Samaritans claim it's here on Mount Gerizim, where our ancestors worshiped? All right, here's the truth. The truth is that other people are not what keep us from a relationship with God. It's not other people. We can blame them, and we do. We can hide behind hurts and mistreatment. I mean, you've heard it. I've heard it. Churches are full of hypocrites. I don't want to go be with those hypocrites. Listen, we're all hypocrites, all right? (laughs) We're all hypocrites. We're human beings. We We don't live up to what we believe ourselves, and that's the truth. The truth is that it's God that I'm keeping out at a distance when I say that people have hurt me. I don't want to go be with those people. The truth is that there's an issue in my life that's separating me from God, and it's sin. And it's always there. I've been hurt by people, and I've walked in hurt, right? I'm not free from this. I've walked in hurt for a a season, and uh, and I've seen the only thing that happens in my life is my relationship with God diminishes and sin increases. And that's what happens to all of us. And so here's this woman saying, hey, I've been hurt by you Jews. You've damaged me. You've ostracized me. You guys are mean, and it's because of you that I don't have a relationship with God. And Jesus goes, oh, hold on a minute. What about you? What about your life? What about the things you're doing? See, a victim mentality allows me to hide behind others' offense and keep from taking responsibility for the things that I'm doing. And the truth is that Jesus uncovered it. Yeah, Jesus is a prophet, and he knew. And so he presses into the truth here, exposes everything, brings her life into the light. And as usually happens for all of us, she has a deflective response, right? Oh, wow. Okay, here we go. You just brought everything about me right into the light. You said it out here in public. That's kind of scary to hear. I knew it was true, but it's kind of scary to hear. I got a question to deflect you pushy Christians, right? You pushy spiritual man. I mean, so she asked the question about where to worship. 
again, kind of reflecting. I'm hiding behind the fact, well, we can't go to Jerusalem. We can't worship God there because you guys have held us out. And so that's the reason I have sin in my life because I haven't been allowed to go worship God. Jesus points out this sin. And, and like I said, that's the real problem for all of us. That's my problem. That's your problem. That's the only real problem that there is. And her deflective question are the same deflective questions that you've maybe heard or said. You know, I've run into a lot of people and we start having a spiritual conversation pretty soon. It's like, well, what about evolution? What about the dinosaurs? You know, what about Cain and his wife? How did that happen? And we come up with all kinds of deflective questions. You know, what about a story in the Bible, the guy that got swallowed by a fish? Really? Can the Bible really be true? There's these, we, we, we get deflective questions so we don't have to really engage the truth of God's word. And we don't have to really look our sin in the face. And we don't have to really deal with God. Every person who is stuck in a hurt has some kind of deflective question. We all do. Or a deflective answer. Jesus, though, is not to be deterred. He loves this woman. He's exposed the truth. He's engaged her. He's reflected God's heart for her. There's something happening here, and he's going to see it through to the end. And so Jesus replied, believe me, dear woman. I just want to note that he says, dear woman. It It might be hard for you to understand, because when we're hurt, it's hard to understand how much God loves you, how much he cares about you. Believe me, dear woman, the time is coming when it will no longer matter whether you worship the Father on this mountain or in Jerusalem. You Samaritans know very little about the one you worship, while we Jews know all about him, for salvation comes through the Jews. But the time is coming. Indeed, it is here now when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. The Father is looking for those who will worship him that way. For God is spirit, so those who worship him must worship in spirit and in truth. Jesus says, listen, uh, you're hung up on a religious disagreement. You're being held out at arm's length. You've been hurt by this, this issue. But the truth is, the times have changed. God has moved to bring together all people to make access to God available for all. He says, listen, here's the distinction. It's not going to be about where you go to worship. Are you in the right temple? Are you in the right place, on the right mountain? No, no, no. What's happening is God is coming to humanity. He is coming to bring a connection that's real to each person a connection that's spiritual, that goes right to the the part of you that needs to be connected to God. And so you're going to worship the Father in spirit. You have a spirit. Each human being has a spirit. It's one of the things that make us a distinction between us and the rest of creation is we have this component, this aspect of who we are that can only be fulfilled through a relationship with God. And Jesus has already identified the problem. What separates you from God is not other people. It's your sin. It's your sin that separates you from God. Don't blame anybody else. Don't allow yourself to live in a victim's mentality. Take ownership of what you've done because it's when you acknowledge that that you're able to come to God. And Jesus says, listen, this worship is moving beyond location. It's moving into your 
being. It's moving directly into your, uh, into your spirit. And he goes, you're going to have to worship in spirit and then in truth. And the truth part has to do with a couple of things. One is that we're worshiping the one true God. You know, if it had to do with a philosophy, with a mindset, why you could follow any number of religions and probably find a way to a better life. But the problem is not your mindset. It's not your philosophy. It's not a way of thinking. Your problem is sin. And because of your sin, you're separated from God. And there's only one way to get your sin dealt with. Buddha, right? Muhammad, the other world leaders, the other religious leaders, they can't offer you forgiveness because no one else has had the ability to pay for your sin. It's Jesus alone that was able to do that. And so he calls her to the reality that a new time has come and there's a new access to God. The woman said in response to Jesus, I know the Messiah is coming. The one who is called the Christ. And when he comes, he will explain everything to us. Then Jesus told her, I am the Messiah. The woman knows of the hope of a Savior. And Jesus says, I am he. I am that hope. You know, Jesus stands uh, here today before you. He really stands before the entire human race as he did that woman thousands of years ago. And he offers the same life-giving water. He says, listen, uh, it's available to you. Water that will quench your spirit, that will restore a relationship between you and God. And it wells up inside of you. It's going to bring real satisfaction, real um, life that bubbles up out of you. It's going to pour out onto others. It's going to pour out uh, to the world around you. That same offer is available to each one of us, and yet we have hurts that can hold us back. You know, after this interaction, the woman went back into the village and she told people, I met a man who told me everything I'd ever done. She said, I met a man who knows the truth about me. He exposed the truth about me. And, and so the, the village came out and they began to listen to Jesus and hear the message of life. And it says they begged him to stay with them. And so he stayed there. And after he had been there with them, teaching them, they said, they said, we now know that he is indeed the Savior of the world. Joe and Teresa Bracken moved here about 14 years ago. And uh, Joe is an individual who grew up and because of the way he was raised, had some spiritual hurts. And so I wanted Joe to come and share his story with you. Um, uh, we all have different kind of journeys and processes that we go through. And we can't control the things that happen to us. A lot of things in life we can't control, especially when we're kids. And when Joe was a kid, he had to go through some stuff that left him scarred in, in relation to God. And yet, I wanted you to hear his story because there is a way through that to a place of healing. So, Joe, come and share with us your journey of faith. Thank you, John. So, uh, some of you know me. Some of you know a little bit about my backstory, but I was raised as one of Jehovah's Witnesses. Um, and in my youth, you know, what that, what that looked like was, you know, we were just separate from everyone else, a uh, very isolated gr group, a uh, very cut-off type of religion. That religion did not teach a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Uh, instead, it taught um, that uh, 
there was a small governing body group that were directed uh, by the Holy Spirit, and they were the ones that explained to us what Scripture was. Uh, they have their own translation of the Bible um, that is different from ours, but growing up, we were taught that that was the correct translation and that the others were different um, and that they were incorrect. And, you know, as, as part of that, what it, what it created was a situation where you had a body of people that were dependent on um, other individuals to uh, explain to them what Scripture meant, explain to them how they were supposed to live their life. Um, and so this, this group is, is very closed off. Um, and again, like I said, we weren't taught that uh, we could have that personal relationship with Christ and that we could have the Holy Spirit be present in us. You know, and so it was, it was very much uh, a false type of Christianity, I guess would be the best way to describe it. And so growing up, this led to uh, a lot of isolation, a lot of hurts. Um, there were elders in each of the churches. Um, because the group is so closed off from the rest of the world, uh, created a situation where some of those elders uh, were in a position of authority over others, and there were abuses that happened as a result of that. Um, I grew up in Pennsylvania, and at the uh, a lot of my older brothers and sisters were ones that were subjected to some of these abuses. Uh, part of the reason why we moved to Nebraska was to escape that situation. Uh, but because we didn't leave the religion and we just changed location and we came to Nebraska, I uh, moved halfway across the country just to discover that it existed here as well and that we didn't get away from it. Uh, when I was a teenager, um, I began to question some of the beliefs of the church. Um, and this was something that they, they don't like. Um, and so when you do that, there's a social disciplinary action that is similar to what we would call shunning. Um, and so as a young teenager, as I began to question some of the beliefs and the teachings, uh, even in their Bible, there are instances and examples of things that, uh, that are counter to what they teach. Uh, and so, you know, I, when, I, when I began reading certain passages of scripture and things like that and questioning their teachings, then um, I was deemed as a bad association. And so others in the church would not associate with you. Um, and then ultimately it led to what is called disfellowshipping, which is where you are shunned by the entire body of the church. Um, so a lot of these hurts and a lot of these pains in my youth and growing up led me to turn my back on anything that resembled Christianity, anything that resembled religion. Um, and so growing, so a- after that point in my life, I didn't want anything to do with church, and I didn't want to do anything, anything to do with Christians. Uh, I believe that it was the same in everything. It, was, it would be the same in all the churches. Why would I, why would I think it would be any different? Um, so we moved to Nebraska, um, and eventually, after leaving the church and leaving the religion, I moved to Lincoln, Nebraska. I was going to, attending a college there. I met my wife. Um, and we moved around a little bit, and we came back to Scotts Bluff and settled down out here. Um, throughout all those years, I didn't want anything to do with church. I didn't want anything to do with God. As a matter of fact, anytime somebody tried to share it with me, you know, I just turned my back on it. You know, I, I didn't want to hear it. I didn't want to listen to it because I, I knew what that meant. 
and we get to Nebraska and we get married and, and we're building a house and starting a business and um, have two little kids and just the pressures of life and we're, we're doing this on our own we're doing it without Christ and so those those pressures of life and, and the fact that I'm trying to do everything on my own and without God it just kind of all came to a head and I just felt like everything was falling apart around me You know, my, my dad wasn't part of my life growing up, and that was my biggest fear when I had children, is that I wouldn't be a good dad to them, or that somehow I would lose them and I wouldn't be a part of their life. Um, and so I got to a, a point where I just felt like everything was falling apart around me, and I thought, okay, God, if you're real, show up. You know, where are you at? Because every experience that I'd ever had before, it was always negative. There was nothing but pain, and there was nothing but hurt. And I just thought, you know, just show up. Like, where are you? And it was just a few days after that that uh, Elder Byron Holsworth contacted me. I'd never met him before. Uh, He invited me to come look at some work, and... We developed a friendship that turned into a relationship where we could talk about God and we could talk about the Bible. Ultimately, I started coming to church as a skeptic at first, you know, coming in, didn't really trust anyone at the church, didn't really trust anything that was being said. But the more that I was there and the more that I seen that this church was being taught directly out of God's word, I started to recognize truth for what it was. It was something true that I'd never heard before. And I started to hear that I could have this personal relationship with Jesus Christ and that I could have, like, that he could live in me and that the Holy Spirit could dwell within me. It was something I'd never heard before. So I got to the point where I, I believed and I wanted to believe. So I, again, I cried out in prayer to God and I just said, fill me. You know, I don't know what to do anymore. I'm broken. And I need you. I need your help. And I felt the Holy Spirit come in, fill me. And I had a fire for God's word, unlike anything I'd ever had before. I'd open the Bible and I would just dig in and just read and read and read. And just, it was like the words were leaping off the pages to me. So I encourage you, if you have any type of hurt or pain, it's not from God. He didn't do it. Give him a chance. Pray. And he'll show up. Yeah, I guess what, what I want you to hear today is that there's, there's hope. Sometimes when we're hurting, we lose hope. We don't think that there's any chance. And in our minds, because that hurt gets in there and that issue gets in there or that person gets in there and it begins to eat away at the thought that there's even a possibility that God could love me. And we begin to fall into our sin and we, we hide behind the hurt. And the more we sin, of course, the more separated from God we feel. But I want you to know the day that Jesus says, uh, you don't have to walk in that hurt. And you're not a long ways from God. It's been said, you know, if you're walking away from God and you think you're a long ways off, really all you need to do is stop and turn around. He's right behind you. 
He doesn't go anywhere. What you need is to be connected to God. You need to have your sins forgiven. And it's hard, you know, coming with humility. You know, I've run into people who just um, get real upset at the idea that they'd have to acknowledge their sin, man. They feel like God's just making them bend down and, you know, breaking them. But the truth is that, that sin is a real issue. It's an issue for you. It's an issue for me and for each person that walks the planet. And without that sin being dealt with, we're going to spend eternity separated from God in hell. And that's the truth of it. And Jesus knew that, and that's why he came to earth to change things. He came to earth to, do, to deal with that sin. You know, if, if sin wasn't real, if hell wasn't real, there'd be no need for the cross. There'd be no need for Jesus to die and shed his blood. But it is real. And you and I are going to face it without the forgiveness that God offers us. That's why there's only one way. Yeah, is it narrow? Yeah, it's narrow. Yeah, you can't accept a good mindset, a good philosophy, and and find a way out of your sin. It's not going to deal with it. You can try real hard to be a better person, but, you know, Romans 3.23 says, For all have sinned and fall short of God's standard. God's standard is perfection. It's not just being better than your neighbor. It's not just going to church and being a good person. It's being perfect. God made you and he expects you. He created you to reflect him. Your character is supposed to match his. That's what he created you for. But it doesn't because we've fallen. We live in a world that's sinful and each one of us have chosen to sin. And because of that sin, we face judgment. And and yet God didn't let us sit in that situation. Jesus came to earth. He lived among us. He spoke to people just like this woman. He revealed God to us. And he stands in front of you today and says, listen, I have life. I've got living water I want to give you. Are you going to hide behind the hurt or are you going to allow yourself to push past the hurt and come to me? Romans 6, 23 says, the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. That's that life. That's that water, that living water that he makes available to you. And Jesus has got it. And just like Joe experienced, he wants to come into your life. He wants to come in and bring that water and bring that life and bring that forgiveness and healing. Would you take a step today? Would you put aside the hurt? Stop living as a victim. None of us want to say that's what we're doing, but that's what we're doing if we're letting something that's happened to us as a result of religious, religious people, church, if we're allowing that to keep us from God and and excusing the fact that we want to keep living in our sin, that's what we're doing. And I just want to call you today. Jesus stands in front of you saying, come to me. Don't let that hurt stand between us. Dear friend, Would you bow your head for a moment? If you're here today and you need to make that decision, you recognize the Spirit of God speaking into your heart. You've hid behind a hurt. You're allowing something to keep you from God. Would you take a moment? Would you have the courage to pray to Jesus and pray something like this? You can pray it in your heart. God knows your thoughts. He knows your heart. Just say something like this. God, I know that I am allowing hurt to keep me from you. I know that I have sin in my life, and that's the real problem. 
I am not living up to the standard that you expect of me and you created me to live by. And so right here and right now, I humble myself. I come to you asking for your forgiveness. Asking for salvation. Would you save me? If you prayed that, would you guys just leave your heads down for just a minute? If you prayed that prayer with me right now, would you just have the courage to lift your hand up? God, I pray for those who made a decision to trust you right now and right here this morning. I pray that you would invade their life with your spirit. I pray for those that are moved, you're moving in their heart right now. God, I pray that they'd have the courage to come to you, to put aside the obstacles, the excuses, the things that have held them back and just come with open arms to experience your forgiveness and your healing. God, thanks for loving us so much. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. sadness from wherever you've been come broken hearted let rescue begin come find your mercy oh sinner come near earth has no sorrow that heaven can heal so lay down your burden sit at the table come taste the grace there's rest for the weary a rest that endures earth has no sorrow that heaven can't cure no earth has no sorrow that heaven can't cure so lay
joy for the morning, O sinner, be still. Earth has no sorrow that heaven can't heal. Earth has no sorrow that heaven can't heal. So lay down your burdens, lay down your shame, and all who are broken, lift up your face. your faith in Jesus Christ. We want to walk in new life with you. Would you come touch base with one of the pastors, Pastor Ben, uh, Pastor John, or myself, or um, the person who brought you? Let us know. We'd love to walk with you.